Hey, guys, welcome back. Welcome back to VM Nation. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. If you ever wanted to get into real estate investing, starting your own business, or even owning your own home in 2022, you're going to want to listen to this episode hard and get a pen and paper ready because my friend Chris is going to drop some serious knowledge. But first, I want to thank our sponsors. As you guys know, our sponsors are veterans 100% of the time. So we always support our, our, our men in, in green and, and, um, and blue. So thank you. Thank you, uh, Kurt Balish. If you guys love woodworking for your for home or your office, he makes custom-made woodworking. And he'll make it specifically for you and for your office. So it's always a one-of-a-kind one piece. And also thank you to uh, Tammy Moses of The Hoarding Solution. A lot of us know that, you know, especially if you've been in real estate, People walk into some crappy houses that were full of crap and they had to kind of get rent, do a demo. And but the worst part is when a, if a first responder ever has to go in and try to help save some people, sometimes they can't get out themselves because of all the stuff that's in front of the doors and windows. And Tammy Moses actually helps people declutter and get rid of the horde. So thank you so much for what you do, guys. This is going to be a great episode. Chris, welcome to the show, my brother. Hey, thanks for having me on. I, uh, you know, I've been following you for a while. I love everything that you're doing. Um, and I, I first got into real estate by listening to Mr. Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lechner. She'll be on the show next week. So just oh have on. I'm just truly honored <laughs> and grateful. What is one thing that about real estate that people don't really know? I think. There's a lot of things people don't know about real estate, but if I had to fine tune it down to one, I think when people get into real estate, they don't understand that the money in real estate is not made on the sell, it's made on the buy. And a lot of people focus too much on, oh my God, I'm gonna sell it for this, I'm gonna make all this money, but really you can't make anything until you learn how to buy properties right. So that would be the one thing I would say is very misunderstood in the real estate world. Now, where did you come from? Where did you grow up? Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. I just grew up in a small little town named Lockport, New York. Uh, grew up in a household, a very low, low income household. My mom raised me. My dad was an alcoholic and not really in the picture too much. And, you know, just like so many others, you know, when you grow up in a household where there's no resources, you have to get resourceful. And the one thing my mom did is she never she never stood in my way for any dreams that I had, you know, no matter what it is that I wanted to do as silly as it was like digging a pond in the backyard so that I didn't have to, you know, go somewhere to go fishing. That in my mind was possible, even though my mom would be like, all right, son. Yeah, right. Okay. Go dig a pond in the back so you can go fishing. She never said to me, that's silly. Why would you do that? She says, yeah, where do you want to dig it? Here's the shovel. Go on and get it. And I did that. I literally, it's a funny story. I dug a pond in our backyard. It took me an entire summer. It only made it about three feet. I drove my four wheeler up the street. I caught a couple of bass and sunfish. I came back, dumped them in my pond, not knowing that my pond eventually would dry up because it wasn't deep enough to hit the water table. But you know, it's like in that story it just says that my mother allowed me to dream. And I think that's something that a lot of people lack today. They they're at a young age told, no, you can't do that. You got to do it this way. When really, I think what people need is we're, we're born with the innate ability to dream and to not have limitations to what our vision is. I mean, I have a 19 month old now, a little girl and little Vivi doesn't have limitations. There's nothing that she doesn't think she can do. Now think about that. If we went through life with that same mental attitude that we could accomplish anything, no matter how crazy it seems, what, what could we actually do? How much further along would humanity be if we didn't subscribe to conformity, if we didn't conform to so many people's failed dreams and failed realities? And that sums up my, my upbringing is even though we didn't have resources, I learned how to be resourceful and I, I never lost focus of my dreams. Now, as I got a little older and I, my dreams got bigger, like I wanted to start a clothing line in my mom's basement or I wanted to open my first retail store at the age of 17. I mean, a lot of people stepped in and said, you can't do that. That's silly. You know, my father, you know, was in the picture and he says, you know, just stop with these stupid ideas and come work at the factory. I'll get you an interview over at Delphi and you can come make radiator parts. I mean, that, that was his vision for 
where I should be. But, you know, I can't fault my dad too much because that's all he knew. And, you know, I, I, I sometimes get upset about that. And back then I mailed them cats in the cradle, you know, the, the single, yeah. because that's just the, yeah, I mean, I, I can't even listen to that song anymore, you know, without tearing up. But uh, my mother never stood in the way. When I told my mom, I wanted to open a skateboard snowboard shop. I was 17. I needed $70,000. My mom didn't say, Oh son, like that's, that's silly. You can't do that. My mom said, sure. You know, what are the first steps? And I said, well, I guess I got to build this, this business plan thing that, you know, I'm going to do it at college and all these things. And it just spun around. But that was the first time in my life when I went down that road where I heard no, and I heard I was crazy. And I heard so many people tell me you can't do this. And I almost gave up, you know, I, I think at certain point in life, you know, when we hear no enough times, we just want to give up because it's the easy path to just quit and just go the easy route. Like, oh, sure, dad, I'll go work at the factory. Yeah, line it up for me, dad. Make make sure that I only have to work 30 years, not a day longer, and I cannot work the rest of my life, right? Well, my mom saw this happening and saw the fact that I was going to have my dream die. And it was very close. And I had this bank this bank called MNT bank that was going to give me the loan. It was an SBA backed loan, but they needed collateral. Now I'm 17. I just want everybody to remember when you were 17, did you understand collateral? Did you know what that meant? Cause I, I truly didn't. Nope. I thought collateral, they, they said, we need something, you know, of value that you can put up as collateral. I'm like, perfect. I got a 1986 Buick Skyhawk. I've got a 125 KX dirt bike and I've got a baseball card collection. How's that sound? And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm literally like, that's what I did. The banker laughed at me and said, no, son, we, we need something of substance. And my mother in the divorce got the house that I grew up in. It's a two bedroom, 700 square foot ranch. And she had literally $75,000 in equity of which she did a crazy thing and put that house on the line as collateral so that her punk snowboard kid could chase his dream. So looking back on that, honestly, even in today's world, I'm 44. That was a really stupid thing of my mom to do. But my mom believed in me and my mom never chased her dreams, was never able to. And she didn't want me to see, she didn't want to see my dreams die right there. And it was a big thing. And I had to grow up really fast. So I'm 17 years old, November of 1994, Fat Man Board Shops opened in the Lockport Mall. And I realized what being an entrepreneur really meant. I realized that all those fun things that I used to do prior to owning the store, some of them just had to go by the wayside because I had responsibilities. And if I didn't meet those responsibilities, if I didn't make enough money to pay that, that loan, then mom lost the house. And that wasn't acceptable to me. So I spent a lot of nights crying in the back room on cardboard boxes when big shipments came in and I didn't know how I was going to pay the rent and I didn't know how I was going to pay that loan. But you know what? Five years went by like that. I had the best time. I, I became a man. I like to say this is when I became a man and I, I, I learned how to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't the best entrepreneur. But at least I understood the fundamentals of the entrepreneurship. And uh, that's how my upbringing went. You know, I was I was chasing my dream of being a pro snowboarder again, which everybody told me you can't do living in Buffalo. And you know what? I really didn't think you could either. We don't have mountains here. We have hills. Sure, we get lots of snow because of the lakes. But, you know, the, the, the snow didn't amount to a professional career as a snowboarder because that meant you had to live in Utah or Colorado or or maybe California. But here's what happened is, you know, in life, and, and I'm, I still do this today, I look for somebody that has at least walked that path. I don't want to go down the path most, you know, people walk down because that's boring to me. Like, you know, I'll get to that in a bit, but I always look for the path that's less followed. And I wanted to see, was there any snowboarders that did go pro? And I found two guys, Blair and Shane. They were... <laughs> high energy guys that went pro. They both grew up here in Buffalo, New York, and both of them went on to be big pros for Burton snowboards. And I remember there was one day they were coming back to Buffalo. It was during the holiday season and kissing bridge, my local resort set up a park for them to film that and they had a photographer while well, darn well, I made sure that my butt was right there when they got there. And I made sure to never take my eye off of what they were doing and how they did. And you know, they'd be going down, they'd go through the park and I'd be that, you know, that little follower. They didn't know. I was just following along, like trying to emulate everything they were doing. And I'd be a couple of chairs back at the top. And, you know, I stood next to the photographer while they were doing their photo shoot. And I just sat there in awe watching, oh my God, these guys did it. They went pro and they were doing awesome tricks. And then finally the photographer said, well, show me what you got, kid. 
And I went in and I did some tricks, not that they were great, but they were, you know, what I had in my, my stockpile then. But all I can tell you is these two guys were the first two that made it possible to go pro out of this area. To them, maybe it was as difficult as it was for me to envision that happening, but they did it. So I knew it was possible. And all I had to do is just do what everybody else was unwilling to do. And I didn't have money. So most pro snowboarders, especially in today's world, it's different now. But back then, you know, you'd have to be at the resort every week. You'd have to be traveling around to the contest. Well, I, I didn't have the money to do that. So what I did is I had a country club by my house and the country club was in a ravine. So that ravine, what I saw is I saw sledders. When, when we went there sledding, I saw sledders going through the sand traps and they jump, they'd catch air out of the sand trap. And I'm like, wait a second. What if I build a jump out of that sand trap and I practice all the tricks that I just watched on that VHS video of my favorite snowboarders. So after school, mom would bring me there and I would literally hike up and down the hill, hitting it as many times until I heard that dreaded beep, beep, which meant mom showed up because it was getting dark and time to go home. I didn't have the energy and the stamina to run up that hill enough times to really learn the tricks in the time that I had. So what I had to do is get in better shape. So I remember I'd put boots on at home when there was a heavy snow and I would go out in the backyard and I'd run up and down. And we had a two acre uh, piece of land. I'd run up and down the backyard until I would be so exhausted that I could not breathe. But that emulated like me running up and down the hill trying to get more hits. And I got in super shape. And now when I'd go to the, that, that country club, I could run up the hill. I could get twice as many hits and learn twice as many tricks because I now met, you know, I, I moved up to that, that level that I needed to be. So I guess what I'm saying, and I know I'm going down a rabbit hole here is I'm telling every one of you that when you think something's impossible, it's because somebody told you it was impossible, not because it's truly impossible. And, and when you think, you know, you've hit your limit, you're at about 40%. So when you think you can't do any more, you can't give any more, that means you're at 40%. Now, First and foremost, I, I know your audience are, are veterans. I want to give a huge shout out. So I did not serve, okay? But I have a lot of friends that served and I've lost a lot of friends. Uh, and I want to commend each and every single one of you for what you've done to protect our freedom. And I know there's every day our freedom's, you know, up on the chopping block, but I appreciate what you did. And what I'm trying to do in, in giving back, and that's what I love to do is help all of you get a different form of freedom. And that's financial freedom in one way or the other, help you take back control of your money and get the freedom that everybody wants, but so few people get, and that is financial freedom. And everybody makes it out to be this impossible task. I wasn't born with a silver spoon. I wasn't born with money. You know, everybody said I couldn't do it. Like my story, if it does only one thing tells you that it is possible. I came from nothing and now, you know, I'm worth millions and millions of dollars, but I don't do what I do for money. And that is the secret, folks. I do what I do to solve other people's problems. You know, any military person, you know, you did something to solve somebody else's problem. Not so much. You, you didn't go fight. You didn't go train. You didn't do all that to solve your own problem. You did that maybe in some way or another, but you did that to solve somebody else's problem. That problem you were solving was maintaining the freedom that we all enjoy in the greatest country on earth, the USA. Well, the same thing is exactly true when it comes to money. Like we have to fight for that and we have to go out there and we have to do it. But to do that, to meet financial freedom, you have to solve other people's problems. And if you start going at life and going at money and going at finances or even real estate to solve your problem, you will fail 99.99% of the time. I, I would say 100%, but you know, there's always going to be that one person that squeaks through. So you have to change your mindset. And you know, that that's just my early years. I mean, I, I eventually did a lot of other things. I, I had my retail stores. I was a pro snowboarder living the life. But then eventually when the planes hit the towers in the early 2000s, I got to learn what a recession was. And my retail stores plummeted and I had to get a job. So Little Caesars Pizza wasn't hiring delivery drivers, true story. So I put my resume out and I landed in Wall Street of all places. I never even put a suit on in my life. But in Wall Street, what I found when I ended up there, and it was supposed to be a temporary thing, I found out that all the guys in the glass cubicles around the outside, I was in the bullpen in the early years. All those guys, I watched them in, in, intently. You know, just think of somebody in your life that you've admired or somebody in your life that you've really loved. And if you went back and you then emulated and looked at everything that they did and you said, you know what, I can do more. 
I can do it harder. I can do it longer. And that's what I did. I, I watched these guys who made maybe a million or million and a half dollars. I wanted what they had. They had freedom every day. They got there at nine o'clock. They'd go for a two hour long uh, lunch break, which I didn't understand. I didn't have the money to go on lunch that long. And then they'd be gone at 430. So I said, if I want one of those glass offices and I want to be one of the top advisors for this firm, all I got to do is I got to show up at seven and then I got to work through lunch. And when they leave, I got to hit the phones and I got to go out and see people at their kitchen tables. So I did what everybody else there was unwilling to do. And because of that, listen, like there's no magic formula. I did what everybody was unwilling to do. And because of that, I became one of the top three advisors in this firm in a short period of time. That was the early 2000s. So up to 2006, I was one of the top three advisors in, in 2006. So then I got into real estate. Why? Simple. I mean, Richard, you know, we, you were talking about real estate earlier. I, I watched all my wealthiest clients and I, I, I studied what did they do? Well, guess what most of them did? If they weren't a doctor or a surgeon, guess what they did? Real estate. And I'm like, all right, if all my wealthy clients are in real estate, well, damn, I got to get in real estate. So I bought a, a little farmhouse out in a town called uh, Gasport. It's a no, it's a farm town is all it is. And I flipped that house. It took me almost a year with my best friend. We made every mistake in the book. We were supposed to make 40 grand. We made eight grand, but I had the, the blueprint. I knew now how to do it. And I did another one in 07. Wasn't too much better, but a little bit. And then in 08, I had the opportunity to buy a dilapidated paint store, two buildings down from my main store. And I did. And I borrowed 300 gosh, was it three forty or $370,000 from a hard money lender at 15% interest thinking, all right, this is the guy crazy enough to give me that much money. Let's go. Well, do you guys all remember what happened in 2008? Yep. Everything crashed. That's right. Yeah. So stand in the middle of a throughway and get hit by a Mack truck. And that's about what my life looked like at that point. It was like, bam, I was done. And I literally got down to being one payment away from being completely bankrupt. I had saved a little bit of money, had some assets and I watched all those deplete. I watched all those go away. I was literally at the last, last part of my life. I, I, I didn't know how I was going to make the next payment to this guy. And this guy wasn't a nice guy. Matter of fact, you, know, you, you don't know Buffalo, but there's, you know, a little bit of mafia ties and things like that. So I borrowed money from some of the wrong people. I'm from Jersey. So I know you understand that. Well, Buffalo is very well plugged into that too. And those were the crazy ones that were willing to give me money. So those aren't the people that you don't want to not pay back. And I had some interesting conversations with them. And I don't think they would have just taken the, the strip mall. I think it might have been a finger, maybe a toe. Anyway, we'll get away from that. So I came home one night when I had nowhere else to go. I had just moved my brand new girlfriend into my house. And I went to her and I said, Larissa, I said, I need your help. This is really hard because, you know, I had gone from nothing and then I made something of myself. I had been making some money. So I thought I, you know, I'd never have to come down to this level, but I said, sweetie, I need your help. I need your help paying the mortgage. I need your help pay, paying the utilities. And by the way, my friend Pete's going to move into that bedroom down the hall. And I think my friend Jessica is going to move in the bedroom upstairs. Now I had a little bit of an ego too, and I was an optimist, which I still am today. So I thought I had about a 50, 50 shot of her sticking around. My friends later told me I had about a 10% shot, but luckily I think she kind of liked me because she did help me. And that's how I got through 2008 without going bankrupt. But it was by the skin. What, what was that saying? The skin on your teeth or whatever it is. Yep. So 2009 to 14 marked the second chapter. I, I like to call it, or maybe the third chapter of my life. And this is where I bought real estate. Warren Buffett says this, and all of you should write this down because it's very important. And you all know who Warren Buffett is. And yep. he, he says some of the most important things for every single person to understand when it comes to building wealth, but nobody seems to listen. And I don't understand because he says, buy low, sell high, and don't lose money. Well, I took that serious. With Warren Buffett is because he doesn't have the sweet words. He's not talking sexy. He's talking long term. You know, he's, he's, he's talking stuff that is not, oh, it's, it's not headline making. You know, I mean, he still lives in the house from the 50s. So, but he's not talking about, you know, that sexy stuff like crypto and all this other stuff. And I think that's why a lot of people tune him out, but I tune him in, you know? Yeah. And your entire audience should too. And you should all look up the YouTube video where Bezos interviews, you know, Warren Buffett. And it's a short interview and Bezos just says to him, he says, you know, Warren, you know, you're one of the richest men in the world. 
and you're one of the best investors of all times, you know, and what you do is so simple. How come everybody just doesn't copy what you do? And Warren kind of puzzled, looks at him and just says, because everybody's in a rush. It's all he said. I mean, he's a man of few words, but a man of simple words. So buy low, sell high, don't lose money. I mean, think about that. Remember earlier I said the biggest thing I think people misinterpret in real estate is they think it's about the sell, but it's about the buy because you got to buy low in order to make money. The same thing with stocks. So 2009, I just made it through one of the roughest financial patches of my life. And now all of a sudden real estate had plummeted 40, 50%. So I, I saw an apartment building and it was very, I can't remember what the first one I bought was 40 grand, 30 grand. And I'm like, all right, I don't have 30 grand, but I went to the same bank that, you know, took me out of that, that plaza deal and gave me the financing and they gave me another loan. And I did this from 2009 to 14. I bought dilapidated apartment buildings. I took every penny I made. I lived pretty humbly at this point. You know, there was not a lot of uh, fancy things in my life. I'm sure I drove a decent car, but um, yeah, I just put every penny back into real estate. And then I would renovate a unit myself and my friend, Mike, and then we would rent it out. I'd take the rental and I'd renovate the next one. And that's just how I did it. It was, it sucked. I mean, weekends weren't going out and partying and doing fun things. Weekends were get up early and I got to go mow the lawns. Then after I'm done mowing the lawns, I got to paint that apartment. Then after I'm done painting that apartment, we got to put a bathroom in that one. I mean, listen, like a lot of people just aren't willing to do that. I was, I just was willing to do what everybody else was unwilling to do because I wanted more out of life than what I saw my prior generation and my parents had. So I did this and up until 14, I got up 36 units, pretty monumental victory for me, you know, because I was just a, a simple kid still living in a simple town. And in 14, I took my 37th deal and I'll never forget this conversation to this guy, Greg at the bank. And he said, no, he said, we can't give you the mortgage. And I said, why Greg, you've given me all the other mortgages. I've always paid right on time, maybe a couple late here and there, but I've always been a good borrower. And he says, yeah, but you don't fit in the debt. You don't fit in our box, which is the debt to income ratio. Yeah. And I was like, how? Like I'm making more money than I was when you gave me the original loans. I've got all these rentals producing income that now makes my income higher. And how, how do I not fit this box? Well, what I didn't know is the, the system, the banking system is 100% rigged that you will never win the banking game. Yeah. And I was borrowing in my personal name. So I did. And I, I've, finally learned what that that is and how the debt to income ratio works and why you can't ever, ever scale a real estate business. But I learned the wrong way and I don't want any of you to learn this way. So when I borrow today, I've done hundreds of flips and we've had, you know, a rental portfolio as large as 91 doors. Um, but the biggest mistake I made is I took the bait and here was the bait. They gave me loans in my personal name at a lower interest rate than they would give me loans in my entity's name. Because I should have been borrowing from my corporation, from my LLC. But because the LLC was a commercial loan, it had a higher interest rate. And back then, I was just taught that the lower, the better, right? The lower the interest rate, the better. So I borrowed in my personal name. And that's exactly why I hit that debt ceiling. And that's exactly why all 36 of those units had to be sold. Some of them at losses, which spiraled out of control. Now I had to sell the dream house that me and Larissa had bought, 171 Radcliffe in Getzville. Never forget that house. It was my first vision board house. I had it on a wall, looked at it every day. And then we finally owned it. We renovated it. And then all of a sudden we lost it. We had to sell that at a loss. And I spiraled to the lowest point in my life. The point where I had stupid thoughts that went through my head, thoughts that, you know, I'm glad didn't materialize, but we've all been at those low places in our life where we start thinking those thoughts. If you haven't, then I guess you haven't pushed hard enough in your life. That's the only thing I can say or, but I did. And I made it out of them because I literally let go. I went to Thailand for a month with a backpack to figure out who I was and what I wanted out of life. And when I came back, I still didn't know, but I did know I wanted more. And I went to a three-day real estate seminar, not really because I wanted to go, but because they were giving something for free. They gave an iPod shuffle just for showing up. I was pretty good at showing up to the game. I didn't want to be there. But at that event, two people got up to the front, Mike and Greg, and they started talking about money. Now, remember, I'm a Wall Street guy, right? I'm... I'm at this point, 14 years, I believe, in the financial game was one of the top advisors. You know, even though I had some financial difficulties, I never let anybody in the office know this. Maybe one or two knew that I was struggling, but the rest of them just thought, oh, this guy's buying a bunch of real estate. They didn't know I was losing it. It's pretty, I kept it all inside, which is probably why I exploded. And I heard these guys talking in the front of the room about money, but the way they explained money, the way that they used money, and the way they made money work for them was the complete opposite of every single thing I'd ever learned 
and every single thing that I've ever applied in my life to money. And I started thinking, wait a second, I'm an advisor. And these very incredibly wealthy guys up front are talking about money in a way I've never learned, in a way that I've never even heard discussed. So now I'm at a crossroads in my life. Are they right? Or is the traditional financial system that I've been born into and, and plugged into my whole life, right? Which one is correct? Well, I went off that that beat that path, right? Because I had now been walking this path that everybody else walks because that was easier. I was an advisor, so just take the easy path. Now I went off on the hard path again to learn what it is that the wealthy do different than what the rest of us do. And why is it that it seems from a, you know, a far view, from a thousand foot view, that their lives are just so much better than ours? Well, their lives aren't so much better, but all they've done is changed one thing in some cases, just changed one thing. And that one change that they made is what paved that way. And I learned what that one change was. And that's all I did. I changed where my money went first. It's the first step, right? We always need a first step. You know, when you learn anything, what's, what's step number one? Where do I start? Great. That's what I did. And then I went on to step two and three. And luckily at this point, I'd been surrounding myself with different people, not the people that I grew up with, not my best friend who was, you know, hey, when we got together, all we did is we drink and we'd just go out and we, we, we did nothing. We complained about everything. We blamed everything. That's just how I grew up. I grew up in a scarcity mindset, folks. If any of you have ever grown up with that, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, most of us, right? The world today is a scarcity mindset. There are so few that think in an abundant mindset because that's just what we see every day. You turn the news on, scarcity mindset, negativity, it's all to bring you down. And I was just, that's how I was. And when I got around the people that I grew up with, that's all I knew. So when I got around them, I was just scarcity mindset. Oh my God, I can't afford that. I can't do that. You know, this is stupid. But then I get around these new groups from these events that I was going to, these masterminds. And every one of them had a totally different outlook. They were positive. They were focused on helping other people, which I really, under, I understood that. We all heard that, you know, Zig Ziglar, help enough people get what they want and you get what you want. Bullshit. That's what I would say. Absolutely true. But I didn't know that back then. I do now. And that's the, the mentality that these people had. They had an abundant mindset, but they also knew some of the secrets of the wealthy and they had applied their money differently than what we were brought up. So I'm going along with this and I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it up here. I mean, that was 2014 that I started to change the way I think. In 2018, and I was way checked out before 18. It just took me a couple of years to figure it out. In 2018, I retired from being a financial advisor. I sold my practice and I went on to do what I do today, which is very simple. I solve people's money problems by helping them be back in control of their money. And the best thing about what I do today is like, I don't sell a product. I don't sell a course. Like, you know, all I do is teach people the truth. And, and that sounds so good, right? Oh my God, I just teach people the truth about money, like how money really works. It sounds like such a simple thing, but you know what? So many people don't believe me. I create haters every single day on all the social channels. I get beat up every single day on the social channels and every single one of them don't even know me. They don't know what I do. They don't even watch the video. They just, they just hate. And that's the world we live in. But you know what? That hate is why I do what I do today because every hater needs a hug. And I'm the guy that wants to give out lots of hugs. And that's what I do today. I, I, I teach people and I give almost everything I do away free. People are like, well, how do you, how do you make money then? I make money three, four, five layers deep. And I can't really explain how it works, but if you spend your entire day and your entire like existence solving other people's problems, I promise you, the universe promises you that whatever you want out of life, life will give you. And that is my story. You know, and I love it. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity. I was working for a uh, the number one timeshare company in Florida. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name. I'm not about to get sued. But uh, we were sitting playing poker. And I, and I said, how'd you do it? And he said, you know what? You know, my whole 30 years of doing is not one person has ever asked me how I did it. And I, and I asked him, I said, well, give me the secret. He said, the only difference between a poor person and a rich person is their vocabulary. And it blew my mind. You know, that's when I started getting into books by Robert and, and, uh, and uh, you know, like the rich people, they never think about, you know, I can't afford it. It's how can I afford it? Um, you know, and they're always paying themselves first 
and putting everybody else on the back burner. So, you know, but then you also get a lot of people that are big uh, Dave R fans. I'm not going to put his name out there either. You know, and they're always talking about, you know, not having any credit, uh, you know, not having any, you know, personal credit or business credit. But most of the people that I've talked to that are, are successful usually use OPM to get to get as, as you know, like I, I read something today about um, uh, I guess his name was I can't remember the rapper's name, but he used a hundred million dollars of other people's money to make his shoes worth one point two billion dollars. So if he would have listened to other people, he would have be just as broke as the other people. So what kind of shit are you getting from people that watch your videos? <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of people that watch my videos are Mr. Dave's fans, you know, and listen, I, I will be the first to tell you that, uh, and for anyone listening, I mean, I think you know who we're talking about. His first name's Dave. His last name starts in an R. You can put the rest together. I, I love Mr. Dave. Okay. I think what he does is very much needed. I, I'm a fan. Uh, but here's what I think happened to this gentleman. I think Mr. Dave has gotten to a level of success where his ego has gotten so big that he has hit what I like to call the arrival syndrome. It's a real thing. He has arrived at a place where he's got so much money and he's got the things and he's got, you know, a level of knowledge where he thinks there's nothing more he can learn. And if you watch Mr. Dave's videos enough with the right, you know, if you take the rosy colored glasses of entertainment off and you look and try to find like, what is he really saying? You will see that half the stuff he's saying is absolutely false. It is one-sided. It is opinionated. It is, it is 100% his own ego speaking through. And here's how I always sum up this guys. You know, he is the, one of the best in the business. If you are a bird with a broken wing, if you flew into a glass and I want everybody to understand, I'm not talking about birds. I'm just, okay. Play along with this. If you're a bird that flies into a, you know, a glass window and you break your wing and you need to be mended. Dave is the guy to go to. Dave will take you in. He will put you in the cage. He will feed you. He will nurse you back to health. He will give you the things that you need to get to a point where then again, now you are ready to go back out and fly in the wild and you are ready to be free. The problem with Dave now is he will not let you out of the cage. He will make you believe that you don't need to go out of the cage. You need to stay in the cage. You need to listen to me. You shouldn't be free. You should just do exactly what I tell you. And what he teaches at that point to the bird that is ready to fly free is absolutely self-limiting and will absolutely cap somebody's ability to grow to the level that Dave is at. And it is very sad because that is ego at its finest hour. That is the arrival syndrome at its finest hour. And I think the arrival syndrome is the one thing in mankind that has limited us being where we should be because too many people get to a certain level. I don't care if it's income. I don't care if it's status. I don't care if it's education where they think they know everything. They think they're all set. How many people, I talk to so many people and they're like, well, I make enough money. Really? You make enough money. Explain that. Well, I make, you know, 150 grand. I'm fine. I don't need to make any more money. So what you are telling me is that you've arrived. You've arrived at a level where your income is sufficient to live the lifestyle you want. And you think that's all that there is to life. Because you know how I look at money. I look at it as an unbelievable tool. I look at it as the best shovel you ever have in your garage. And you know what? There is no cap to how much money you should ever have. And why do I say that? Because the more money you have, the more people you can help. The more tools you have, the more holes you can dig, the more things you can fix. Money is a tool. So when people say, when's enough enough to me? I say, never, never. It will never be enough because there are never, ever, there's never going to be somebody out there that doesn't need help. And if the tool to help them is money, well, then I need more of it. And, you know, this is the one thing, and, and I hate the media. I don't watch the media. I don't watch news. I refuse to. I, I literally won't watch it because, number one, I don't know what's real and what's not anymore. We live in this weird place where it doesn't seem like anything is real. But what is real is when you actually help somebody and they say thank you or they hug you or they cry. And, and these are little things, folks, just this year. Like I, I gave, uh, what did I give? I think 100 bucks to somebody. $100 to me is, is no big deal, right? It was, it, was, it was nothing. I actually didn't think I was giving enough. And this person kind of just put their head down. And I'm like, oh, man, I should have gave more. And, and when he lifted his head back up, there was tears. And I, and I didn't understand. To me, I'm just like, oh, what, 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 what's wrong? You know, I'm thinking something's wrong. Well, what wasn't? There was nothing wrong. This, those are tears of gratitude. Now, let's just say you don't have money. 
And you're like, well, yeah, but I don't have a hundred bucks to help people. Yes, you do. You have everything you need to help people. Make somebody laugh. How many people did you see laughing out there today? Not many. They all need to laugh more. So go out and make somebody laugh, help somebody. You know, sometimes it's not money that makes the world go round. Sometimes it's kindness. It's love. It's, it's just the act of doing it. Money makes things easier. I will agree. And the tool is money and we just need to learn how to use it. But the, we've been lied to our whole lives, folks. All of you have been lied to. I was lied to my whole life. Luckily, I got out of this lie and I understood it because I was in it and then I was out of it and I saw what was going on. And the lie you've been taught is simple. People ask me all the time, what's the number one piece of advice you can give to people? Just give me that one thing because everybody wants that magic pill. And you know what I say? I said, great, I got it. Stop giving up control of your money. That's what I tell people. And like that stimulates for more questions. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there because that is the first problem that we all make. We've been taught our whole lives from the second we were born to wherever you're at, however old you are, to give up control of your money to somebody else. And we'll, we'll see where the conversation goes from there. All right. So now, uh, you know, I'm in New, I'm in Jersey. So um, I got a friend, he put his house on the market. I think three hours later it was sold. And um, there, and my, my other cousin, he went to buy a house and got outbid by five different people. It was like, I think it was like, 20% over asking. So what do you get for the person that says, well, I'm going to wait for the market to buzz or I can't afford to get into the real estate market now. Okay. So let's do the first one. I, you know, I, I'm going to wait for the market to bust, which it will. Okay. The markets are cyclical, real estate cyclical. It will go down, but are you going to wait for that unknown time? Cause we can't, we can't ever time the market. Here's what people need to focus on is not, Oh my God, I can't buy low. I can't get houses. I'm getting outbid. Well, I, there's a big reason you're getting outbid. You're looking where everybody else is looking. Do the opposite. Look where nobody else is looking. Go out and solve people's problems. Stop going the easy route. If you're getting outbid, first mistake you're making is you're going to the wrong place to look for real estate. But the other thing you're doing is you're making a very drastic mistake. It doesn't always matter what you pay for real estate. That's not always the single driving force because there's different strategies in real estate. Okay, you can flip houses, you can wholesale houses, you can burr houses, you can buy for long-term rental. Now let's talk rentals. Right now in this market, market prices are really high. I'm not buying, I'm selling right now because that's what I do. I buy low and I sell high. So my rental portfolio, I've gone from 91 units and I've sold down to I think we have 14 or 15 left in a couple flips that we're doing really quick right now. But the, the name of the game right now would not be flipping. I know everybody wants to flip right now because it's sexy, it's fun, it's fast. It can make 40 grand, it can make 50 grand. Indeed, you can. You can also lose $100,000 just like that because tomorrow the market could turn. Tomorrow, your house might not be worth what you thought it was. And based on what you thought the price was going to be, that price might not be that in six months when you finish renovating it. The market can flip and turn. I mean, you've seen this happen in time. I mean, how many people in 2007 thought that the market was never going to go down? They were going to keep flipping and keep making money. Guess what? They went bankrupt. They lost it all because they didn't, they didn't understand the patterns. They, didn't, they, got, they got greedy. But right now, if you're buying rentals, let's say you buy a house. Let's say you do overpay for it. You go where everybody else does. You buy it on the MLS. You overpay for the property. Is it game over because you overpaid? Not necessarily, because what if you're just playing the rental game and the income game? So you got a mortgage. You got you know X amount of dollars in, and your, your, out, your outlay of money is $1,200 a month, but you rent it for $1,600. Okay? So now you've got yourself a decent little spread. So that spread is your profit. That's the amount of money you get. Does, now, does that spread change when the market drops? Nope. Did it change in 2008? If you were renting properties and the bottom fell out and your house is now worth 40, 50% less than it was than what you paid for it if you're renting it, did the rent change? No, not at all. The rent stayed the same, which means your spread, your profit stayed the same. So why would it matter if you overpay for a property if you're looking for long-term rental? The only problem with that is, is your exit strategy is now going to be kicked down, you know, down later. So if you were saying, I'm going to buy this house, I'm going to rent it out for two years and I'm going to sell it for a profit, that might not work. And if you're thinking that way right now, well, you need to really, really rethink that strategy. So that's the first thing. The strategy matters more than anything else. Pick the right strategy for the right market environment. And, and the, give me the second part of that question again. I apologize. Oh, no. Uh, you know, I was just trying to think, you know, because everybody talks about um, oh, money, money. You were asking about the money or to buy the houses because all the houses are up right now. 
And they are. And, and it's why it's a great time to sell, not a great time to buy. But again, that's what I was just covering. If you're buying, just pick the right strategy, which right now would be a burr or a rental. You want to make sure the strategy matches the economy and the, and the environment which you're buying. But, you know, also, if you want to buy right, just go where other people are not going. Go out and solve people's problems. Find people that are in danger of losing their house. People that, because of COVID, lost their job. They haven't been paying their mortgage. Offer them to take over their mortgage. Do a sub to, like, pay them, take the ownership of the house, pay their mortgage, give them 10, 20 grand to make them go, you know, away. And then now all of a sudden the burden's on you. There's all sorts of ways to get into real estate, tons of strategies. But too many people think, and, and getting in real estate, and believe me, folks, I, I thought this too. They think that they have to have a bunch of money in order to get into real estate. That is a myth. Now, you need some money. I'm not going to be one of those you know guys out there that says, oh, you can buy houses with no money out of pocket. Well, you can, but not if it's your first flip and you got no experience. I promise you, I'm not lending to you. And I, that's what I do. I lend money. And none of the people in my community are probably going to lend to you because you have zero experience. So you got to have a little bit of skin in the game if it's your first deal. Now, if you've been doing it for a while, like if you're like Richard and you've done a bunch of deals, well, then you probably can get pretty close to 100% of the money for the property with none of your own money in. But that takes experience, knowledge, and wisdom. So a lot of people, when they think I, I got to have a bunch of money, number one, you're wrong. So if it's your first deal, like let's just say you're young and you're looking to buy your first house, great. Buy yourself a duplex. Don't go buy a single family house. Buy a duplex. And house hack it. Get an FHA mortgage, which requires three to five percent out of pocket. Live in the lower unit or the, the left unit, rent the other one out and have the other person pay your mortgage. Or do what I did. Remember in 08 when I was losing everything, I had a single family house. I had to rent bedrooms out. Now, I don't suggest that. That's sometimes uncomfortable. But listen, if that's what it's going to take to get you in the game, then do it. Do what everybody else is unwilling to do. Sure, everybody wants the big house. Everybody wants the fancy house. Everybody wants the expensive house. You'll get there. The one thing that will keep you from getting there in real estate, especially, is trying to get there too fast. Building wealth is a marathon. It is not a sprint. If you're in a rush to build wealth, you will become broke. I promise you, because that's, a, that's the magic equation. If you're rushing this and you're in a hurry, you're, you're not going to ever get there. Okay. So sometimes you got to take a step back and you got to give things up today so that you can live the life you want later. And that's tough. Some of you are probably looking at that saying, I don't want to give anything up today. Well, great. Keep living the life you are. You know, that, that's the decision you have to make. Either you're comfortable with you are, maybe you've arrived. I'm fine where I'm at. Great. Well, then, then don't listen to me. But if you're not fine where, where you're at, if you want more, if you want to live a better life, well, then guess what you got to do? You got to do what everybody else is unwilling to do. And you got to give some shit up. Like there's some things you want to do. There's some things you're doing today that maybe you got to give up. Maybe you got to take a step down in the car. Maybe you got to drive the old beat up car instead of buying the brand new one. Because, hey, they make it so easy to get a new car. Oh, it's only $700 a month. Well, skip that new car. Drive yourself a junker and then own the car dealership later. Because that's the, that's what happens when you give things up. Warren Buffett, like look at, look at that dude. That guy didn't have to give anything up, but he still does because he's trained his brain that way still lives in the same house, still drives a used Cadillac. You know, yeah, a lot of things have changed, but like follow that model. Be simple in your thoughts and in your living so that you can then have the ability to call your shots later. That's freedom. Freedom isn't how much money you have in the bank. Freedom is when you get to control your time. Don't let anyone tell you difference. People think that, you know, rich people are people that have a bunch of money in the bank. No, those are the, Robert Kiyosaki says this, those are the next poor people. If you measure your success by the amount of money in the bank, you will be the next broke person. Your money. So remember we said the first thing you need to do is take back control, which is changing where the money goes first and stop thinking banks are in your corner. So many people get paid. They get their paycheck. And what do they do? They take it right to the bank. Super happy. Stand in line. They give the bank their money and they say, oh, goody. That feels good. And then they grab one of those little suckers from the little cup up there. Take it off. Start enjoying it. Look at the wrapper. What's it say? Dumb dumbs. All banks in this country have one brand of sucker that they give you. It says dum-dums. You think that's by mistake? I don't know. Banks aren't in your corner. So be the bank. Change where the money goes. My hat says it. B-Y-O-B. That doesn't mean bring your own booze. It means be your own banker. And it doesn't mean own a bank. It means treat your money like you own a bank. Do the same thing the bank does, which means don't put your money in the bank because they're winning. You're losing, especially now, 6.3, 6.8% inflation. You're losing big at a bank. So that's what the wealthy do. They changed where their money went first. But the second part, and these are laws of wealth, laws, okay? All the way back to before Christ, back to Babylon times. 
there, the laws are simple. Number one, in order to build wealth, first off, you got to keep the money that you earn. How much? At least 10% are the rules. That's the law. So if you're not saving at least one-tenth of your gross income, you're losing the battle. And you need to figure out, how do I save? Yeah, but Chris, how do I save if I'm living paycheck to paycheck? You got to figure out something to give up. But yeah, I can't, nothing I can give up. All right, well, let's look at where all your money goes every month. Because you're making money. Where's it going? Once we figure out where it's going, let's take you know, a year or two years and spend that year or two years taking that money back slowly. We know how to do this. I have a video on my, my website that shows you exactly how to do that. And that video will cost you nothing to learn how to take back all the wealth that you're giving away. But the, the second law to wealth and the second thing that the wealthy know more than all of you, and this is why they stay wealthy. Okay. And this is the biggest advice I can give you. And it is the second law of wealth is the wealthy understand that ours should never have a monetary value. Your hours that you have in the day are, are they're, they're priceless. You can't get more time, folks. We all know that. We all know people that died a little too early and you know we wish they were around. You can't buy time. So why is it that we're taught at, from grade school all the way through college that we should put a dollar value on an hour? Oh, I can't wait to get a job where they pay me 25 an hour or 50 an hour or 100 an hour. How many of you have done that? I know I have. Oh, I can't wait till I'm making hundred bucks an hour. You know what? Today, you know how much my hour is worth? There is no price that you can pay me for my hour because it is priceless. But when you put dollar values to your hours, what you're doing is you're putting a limit on how much money you can make. The wealthy know this. So law number two is this. Once you amass some money, once you apply law number one and you've saved some money, that money has to go to work for you because your money working for you does not have a limit. Your money will never stop working. Your money will never take breaks, never take vacations, will never, ever argue when you tell it to do something. It will go out and do whatever you tell it to do. You want it to go out there in a private loan and make you 12%. That's exactly what it's going to do. You want to put it into an investment account where it's going to make your return. That's exactly what it's going to do. You want to buy parental real estate, then take that rental real estate back. That's your money working for you. The wealthy do this day in and day out. They become experts in it. You know who else is experts at this? Banks. When you go into the bank and you give them your money, does that, do they put that money in a little box with your name on it in the safe? Heck no, they don't. They take that money and lend that money out right in those little glass cubicles. And that is called moving their money, making your money work for the bank. How many of you want to make your money work for the bank versus how many of you want to make your money work for you? Well, change where that money goes first. Don't let the bank hold your money figure out how to be the bank. And I don't have time to get too deep into that today, but I have that video on my website that will show you exactly how to do that. All right. So now I, and I appreciate you for taking the time to hang out with me today. I'm, I'm humbled and grateful. Um, now a lot of like for me, in order for me to be able to buy my, my, my home as a disabled veteran, I got, because I went 80% blind. Um, I actually got the VA loan. And for me, it worked out well. For other people, I hear it's a horror story. So I've heard, you know, this and that. Um, what are your opinions on getting a VA loan? Is it worth it? Now, I got a friend. He is a veteran, and he will not even touch a VA loan. He started his own company because he can get better rates as, a, as having his own company than he can from the VA. So what have you heard? What are your thoughts on VA loans, good, bad, or neither? Uh, well, you know, I've, I've heard nothing but good things. I mean, technically, you can get a mortgage with almost no money out of pocket. So how is that a bad thing? Uh, yes, they're difficult. They make you jump through a lot of hoops. It takes a little bit longer, which makes it difficult to get a good deal on a property today. But I, I see zero things bad with VA loans. Um, the fees are not as expensive out there. So your friend that was saying that, I mean, he must know something that we don't know because all the VA loans I've, I've seen are relatively decent pricing okay, in a percentage. Uh, the terms are good. I, I don't know many vets that have had to come up with much money out of pocket to get a VA loan. And they now have the, the ability to have home ownership. How, that is not a bad thing in any way. And I do want to say one thing. I'm just reading some of the comments. Tom Lynch, uh, I missed something, Tom, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought that out. First, give God his 10%. Absolutely correct. Every morning I drop to my knees and say, I say my gratitude to God. So that is the first rule. And I don't care what my laws of wealth are. That should be the first one is give God 
his gratitude. And if that is 10%, then whatever it is in your book, then apply law number one and then law number two. And there's six laws. So thank you, Tom. Now, one thing I got to say is um, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. <laughs> Buffalo games. And I couldn't Squish the fish. how cold it was. Be- I-, I would be freezing in September in Buffalo. I've never been as cold as I have been. In Buffalo, but I gotta say, the the people from up in that area, them and the people from Green Bay, are like the most hardcore fans, and they're so loyal to their team. And that's one thing I gotta say about the people from Buffalo; they're very loyal people. You know, even though they're down home, a lot of them, a lot of them are very loyal people. Absolutely correct. Yeah, they are. And you know, I'm not. I don't watch much TV. I just don't have time for it. I'd rather read books these days, but uh, you know, every once in a while I'll pay attention to what the bills are doing. And definitely when the bills play the dolphins is a big thing out here, but yes, bills fans are die hard. Uh, they jump off of vans onto tables. You've all seen the bills mafia and what they do. It's, it's pure insanity. Uh, I think just most people from Buffalo are a bit crazy, but you know what? It's awesome that they get behind the team like that and they go out there and negative 20 degrees in, well, most of them don't even wear shirts in negative 20. To each their own, I suppose. But yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing to watch. So now, you know, thank like I said, thank you so much for hanging out and spending time with us. Um, how do we find you? How can we learn from you? How can we support whatever mission you got going on? Yeah, I mean, the best way to support me is go out and help other people. I mean, that's just what we should all be focused on. Uh, if you want to learn more about some of these things that I've been talking about, you know, like that changing one thing and how to be in control of your money and how to be your own bank and how to make your money work for you. It's very simple. Just go to Chris Noggle. It's N-A-U-G-L-E.com. And just right there, there's a 90 minute video in 14. When I saw those wealthy individuals, one of them had me watch a 90 minute video and it changed my life. And you know what? I don't know if the 90 minute video on my website is going to change your life, but I will tell, I will tell you, it will put you on the path to getting that started just like it did me. So watch the 90 minute video. There's no cost to it. There's no sale. It's not trying to sell you something, but it will enlighten you and tell you what the wealth to do with money. And then from there we do every week, we do free trainings. I do wealth webinars that are all free all my trainings. I, I do one, two, three, four shows every single week. And every one of them are 100% free. So you know, hey, I don't know why you wouldn't join me for at least one of those shows, even if it's just to be entertained about money or learn something. But all those those webinars and those shows are posted on my website. You can check them out. So that would be a good start. All right, brother. I'm so grateful that you hung out with us today. I can't wait to see what you've got going on. I've been following you. You're you're crushing it on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and I, I'm just enjoying all the content that you're putting out. And I just want to say thank you for hanging out with us today. Um, it's my pleasure and, and my honor to be here. Thank you. All right, guys. So make sure you follow Chris on everything that he's doing because you're going to learn and learn. And I've learned so much just by watching him. So definitely check him out. Guys, if you like everything we talked about, please leave a comment. I make no money off of this show. It's all about paying it forward. So just leave a comment like Gary Vaynerchuk said. Leave a comment. That's, that's the way you can pay me. Um, remember guys, vertical momentum, the only way to go is, but, uh, all right, guys, catch you on the flip. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.